God of life. Your word touches us again and again each time we hear it. Touch us anew this morning as we reflect on familiar words. May we hear new words through your spirit. May my words and the thoughts and reflections and meditations of all our hearts be fruitful for the life of your kingdom and bring you much glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. There is one important thing I want us to remember about this story of Jesus calling his first disciples. It's not about the fish. Fortunately, Luke gives us some clues as to what it is really about. Firstly, he tells us that the crowds were pressing in on Jesus to hear the word of God. And this term echoes the way the early church is described in the book of Acts as the word of God was shared and heard. Discipleship grew. Sorry, I'll just move that back a little bit. Discipleship grew. This is a story about discipleship. Secondly, Simon Peter calls Jesus master for the first time in Luke's gospel. This is a turning point not just for Peter, but for our understanding of discipleship and of what it means to belong to and to work for the kingdom of God. Luke also focuses on Peter at the exclusion of the other characters. His brother Andrew isn't even mentioned by name here, but everyone knew that they worked together. Peter is shown as the exemplary disciple, which if you know much about Peter is really encouraging because he messed up as much as we do. So Luke's using Peter here as an example of discipleship in his response to Jesus in this story. He's the one Jesus addresses. He's the one Jesus encourages not to be afraid, but to step out in faith to bring people into the net of God's kingdom. And yet they were all called to follow. This is not just about Peter. Each, each and every one of us, too, is called to follow with Peter. For quite a number of years, I had a very close association with Phillip Island. Some of you might know it very well. Well, my parents had a house there where they retired initially before they moved where they are now. And we used to have family holidays there from camping on the block when it was first a block and then we'd stay in the house as it was being built and then um, for many years we used to stay there as a family. We had chicken pox there, I remember that vividly. (laughs) When we first came back to Melbourne uh, after being in Queensland for a number of years, I used to take regular times of personal retreat on the island. That's part of my spiritual discipline is to take times of retreat and I used to go down there. And one of the things I love to do when I'm there is to go to the fishermen's co-op at San Remo and to buy fish and chips and sit and read a book or spend some time watching the pelicans and the tourists. I'm really drawn to this concept of a co-op. It's a group of local fishermen working together to sell the fish that they catch and to support one another. Well, Christian discipleship and particularly Christian leadership, is always best accomplished within the context of community. Uh, 
In fact, it's impossible to really live out a Christian life in isolation. We can be believers in Christ, but to really live out our discipleship, we must be in community. Lone fishers sink boats and often drown. As a church, we're more like a co-op. We work together using everyone's gifts to serve God and to make and grow disciples. But that doesn't mean we're all the same. In fact, God's best work is done when diversity is held in tension with unity. And the Anglican Church, if nothing else, and it is indeed many things, it is a testimony to this fact. That's one of the reasons I'm an Anglican. We hold together the broadest range of expression of the Christian faith, and yet we are one. Yesterday there were 15 people ordained deacon in the cathedral. I wasn't able to be there, but this breadth of background, experience, gifts, expression is really good to see. Even the people in this room, or those who are joining us remotely, reflect an enormous breadth of theological, liturgical and pastoral experience. And yet we sit here together today for the same purpose. God has touched our life in some way and we have responded. Well, we see this same concept of working as a co-op in this reading we've just heard this morning from our Gospel with the sons of Jonah, Simon, Peter and Andrew, and the sons of Zebedee, James and John. This Jonah, Zebedee and Sons fishing co-op was the Capernaum equivalent to the one in San Remo, just on a smaller scale. They worked together using two boats, casting the nets between them and working as a team to haul in the fish and to share the weight load so that neither boat would sink. Then when daylight came, they'd take the fish to the shore. And no doubt Mrs Jonah and Mrs Zebedee would then come and collect the fish and take them to the village to sell. Meanwhile, the men would have some breakfast and settle down to clean and repair the nets ready for the next night's fishing. On Lake Galilee, fishing happens at night, virtually never during the day. These were seasoned fishermen. They knew their boats, they knew their nets, they knew the lake and its propensity for sudden storms, and they knew where and when the optimum opportunities would be to haul in a large catch. And they knew when not to bother. There wasn't much that anyone could teach them about fishing. And along comes Jesus this day, pushed to the edge of the lake, we're told, by the crowds pressing in to see and hear him. And he commandeers one of the boats, that belonging to Jonah and sons, which Simon Peter is in charge because he's the eldest son. And he proceeds to use the boat as a floating pulpit, utilising the wonderful acoustics of sound across water. And he sat there and taught the crowds. Then he decides it would be a good idea to go fishing. We can just imagine what Peter was thinking. He's a nice enough guy, but he knows nothing about fishing. (laughs) He doesn't even know you fish at night, for goodness sake. 
He should stick to preaching and telling stories. Besides, I'm tired. All I want to do is go home and get some sleep. For me, I suppose it would be a bit like a modern-day fisherman, complete with waders, rod and net, walking up the up from the esplanade into this room late on a Sunday after the service, and I'm tired from preaching and leading worship and really looking forward to my coffee, and they say to me, we want you to take another service now, only this time do it in the car park next door, even though it's raining and everyone's gone home. Sure. <laughs> what a great idea. <laughs> that wouldn't be the first thing that came to my mind. So you get the picture there. But Jesus' request that they put out into the deep is a metaphor for Christian life. Jesus is challenging them to put aside everything they know and everything they take for granted and to trust his guidance, to take a risk and to venture beyond their own human knowledge and resources, no matter how expert they may seem. And no matter how well these things have served them up to this point, but to venture out into deeper waters in order to achieve their ultimate purpose. In so many ways, the church in which I grew up and was formed is not the same today. The world around us is changing faster than it ever has. We are more globally connected. A pandemic tells us that. Our society is more culturally complex and diverse. And we're used to instant communication. Thanks to St Google, vast amounts of information lie just at our fingertips, some of which is useful, although you better watch out for St Wikipedia because he can be a bit heretical. <laughs> and as for Dr Google, don't go there. <laughs> as excellent as my theological education was all those years ago, I cannot rely on what I learned there to continue to carry me through a lifetime of ministry. Yesterday marked 26 years of ordination as a deacon and the church that I was ordained into is not the same. That's scary. That's my livelihood. It's not just what I love. It is not going to carry me through. What I already had is not going to carry me through. There's a, a book out at the moment sort of what got you there won't get you, no, is it? What got you to here won't get you, get you there. It's a good point. And especially as we navigate through such strange times as living through a global pandemic. It has to be constantly added to, refined, reflected on in the face of our changing culture and our global connectedness. It also has to be reflected on in the culture of two to three generations who do not know God and for whom the church is totally irrelevant. As hard as that is for us and as painful as, as that is for us, that is the reality. Look around this room. That is the reality we are dealing with. The commitment level that we grew up with and we continue with is going to take some time to grow and develop in younger people. 
As Christians and especially as leaders, we have to be committed to lifelong learning and growth and to be prepared to model this and to encourage it in others. Putting out into the deep means not just resting on the security of what we were raised in or we've taken for granted up until now, but being prepared to open ourselves to new experiences, new possibilities, and to risk trusting God to show us the way, as we had in that hymn before, Spirit, lead me. Even when we think we know better. Luke makes another important point in this passage. Peter's response is not a fisherman's response. He doesn't berate himself for not knowing where the fish were. He doesn't sulk because he's been shown up by an amateur. His skill is not the issue. The issue is his life. Even sin, of which he was obviously conscious, did not disqualify him. Jesus has a job for him and Peter has a decision to make. Do not be afraid, says Jesus. I've got bigger fish for you to fry, excuse the pun. Your life will never be the same. I'm sure that Peter could not even begin to grasp what this would look like as the years unfolded. But he knew enough to know that for him there was no turning back. This was a life-changing moment that would ripple out across the world for generations to come because that's the way God works. He uses faithful people of each and every generation to bring his love and to be a prophetic voice to the time into which we are born. Our yes to God brings about a great deal more than we could ever dream, dare or imagine, as Paul reminds us so often. Being prepared to put out into the deep leaves us open to discover the surprises, the wonder and the mystery of God that can only be found in the deeper places. The disciples were asked to put out into the deep, to step out in faith and trust that God's way, no matter how strange it may seem, no matter how much it goes against everything that we know to be true, to trust that God's way is ultimately the only way, the only way to fullness of life and joy and peace and kingdom living. Our fear is the same as Peter's. Our fear of deep waters is just the same as his. To follow God means being, being able to risk being outside our comfort zone, to encounter fear and the unknown, and none of us likes that. The deep waters that Peter feared are much the same for us. We fear what we might be letting ourselves in for. Life would be much simpler, much safer, much more predictable if Jesus would just go away and stop making demands of us. Leave us to our nets, empty or full, we feel safer, we feel more in control. 
But Jesus' request of Peter and the subsequent events brought about a movement forward in Peter. He begins by calling Jesus master or teacher, but moves on to call him Lord. Luke is helping us to see that the risen Christ is present throughout the gospel. We, along with Luke and his readers, know that the Jesus who called Peter and who calls us is the risen Christ, whom we can trust completely. Peter didn't know that that day on the beach, but we do. We are not to be stuck in our boat, hugging our nets, bemoaning our lot in life and passing up the opportunities that God puts our way. Or sitting around telling stories about the good old fishing days. Following Jesus won't be easy, says Luke, but it will be worth it. I love this story because it reminds us that Jesus always takes our humanity seriously. We all know what it feels like to have worked really hard with little or nothing to show for it. We know what it feels like to sit in the midst of a tangled, stinking pile of our own frustration and sense of failure. Even Jesus knew this. How long, O Lord, he prayed on more than one occasion. But Jesus always meets us where we are. But he does invite us to move beyond our own limited perspectives and to move beyond our frustrations and our anxieties. And he calls us to go further, to put out into the deep the depths of life as God intends it to be and to leave the shallows behind. One of the most exciting things happening in this parish at the moment is our MOPS ministry. MOPS stands for Mothers of Preschoolers. And as a group sort of organically came together during COVID online, we had a number of mums saying, I want something deeper. I'm sick of the superficial, shallow relationships I have. I want a group of people I can be real with. I can explore deep questions with, big questions and be myself. I want to go deeper. That's their language. It's really exciting. And soon we're going to be starting a second MOPS group in person to meet those needs. So the questions are out there. We've got the answers. We just need to be really careful. We're not trying to give small answers to big questions, but to sit in the questions with people and allow them to be to go into the deep with them. Master, we have worked all night long, but have caught nothing. Yet, if you say so, I will let down the nets. I don't know about you, but sometimes I feel like I live most of my life suspended in the gap between these two statements worked all night long and have caught nothing. But if you say so, I'll let down the nets. 
I'm sure it's not just me. I'm sure we all live a lot of our lives in the gap between weariness and hope, between defeat and faith, between resignation and obedience. Instead of the grind of the same old, same old, holding things together, perhaps God is inviting us to look beyond the familiar to new depths that he can't wait to show us. What are your empty nets at the moment? What are our empty nets as a church? Master, I've worked all night long for nothing. Do we, can we entrust them to Jesus? But if you say so, I'll cast out the nets one more time. In this strange and new time we find ourselves living in, what is Jesus calling us to? What is our response going to be? Do we feel unworthy or inadequate and allow that to have the final word? Is it all just too difficult? Do we really want God to transform us? Do we want to share the gospel? Are we willing to get out of our boats? Are we willing to leave our nets on the shore? What might it mean for us to put out into the deep? Are we willing to allow God to be a holy interruption in our lives and to invite others to share in that? Are we willing to allow Jesus to be more for us than a nice bloke who told good stories and helped people 2,000 years ago? Are we willing to make him the centre of our lives? The meaning and purpose behind all that we are and all that we do. So what is the deep that Jesus is calling us to? In 20 years' time, will there be people who gather here for worship? Will they be able to say of us, they left everything and followed him, and life for many, including us, was never the same. The Lord be with you.